Let me ask you about a theory that Howard Schultz, Howard Schultz has now said he would not run as an independent if the Democrats moderate, uh, nominate oh, a moderate. Oh, isn't that nice? But you raise a good thing. Why is Howard Schultz on every television station in this country? Why are you quoting Howard Schultz? Because he's a billionaire, all right? There are a lot of people I know personally who work hard for a living, who make forty, fifty thousand dollars a year, who know a lot more about politics than in all due respect does Mr. Schultz. But because we have a corrupt political system, anybody who is a billionaire who can throw a lot of TV ads on television suddenly becomes very, very credible. So what Mr. Schultz, what is he blackmailing the Democratic Party? If you don't nominate Bernie Sanders, he's not gonna run. Well, I don't think we should succumb to that kind of blackmail. Now, I just want to say this up front. Uh, This is not an episode for the faint of heart. If you don't want to get just utterly harassed and targeted by the Bernie bros, turn this pod off right now. I'm Dan Spaventa, joined by... I, I don't know what he is. He's a creature. Uh, You know, he actually looks a lot like Bernie when he was younger. This is... Sam Wagstaff. Yes, I have jumped out of the time machine from like 1971. It's me, the young Bernie Sanders. This episode, as Dan said, is going to be violence, I believe. And we're, the the violent aspect will obviously be from our special guest. Uh, you know her, you love her. It's Rachie. Hi, everybody. Um, I know that by saying this, I'll be classified as a bot on Twitter, but I do happen to be a real-life woman of color who does support Bernie Sanders. Say what you will. Call me a bot. But, I mean, you'll be canceled by the time you finish listening to this episode. Now, Rachie, I'm hearing a lot about this digital blackface. Uh, Do you have a comment on this? I would say as someone who had to uh, go through like four blackface scandals in Virginia over the past maybe two weeks, if it's digital, uh, honestly, isn't it kind of a step up than the actual shoe polish? That's just my hot take. So I think Dan's referring to the the incomparable Soledad O'Brien. Don't explain digital blackface to me, Sam. That's digital blackface, what you just did. Uh, well, I, I am going to be mansplaining everything to everyone today, as I customarily do on the show, juice-splaining as well. So either way, let's just jump into this. One of the most salient sticking points of this anti-Bernie crusade from the center, not, not from the right wing, because obviously the right wing is just saying that Bernie Sanders is trying to bring, you know, Hugo Chavez to the United States and that we're going to become, you're, we're going to be sipping on like Cuban socialist coffee by the end of 2020. But you know, it is telling that that's like the best they can do. Yeah, because they're actually, they're genuinely scared of him and we'll get to that. But I guess the the main sticking point has been this idea that Bernie Sanders is racist, that his class first approach erases the specific circumstances that I guess people of color and women face and that he has he has flipped the bird to these marginalized communities. And as that white lady on Twitter who deleted her account said, black people ain't having no Bernie. <laughs> Um, as, as, a, <laughs> as an actual uh, black person, I can say that um, none of us have talked like that since like Jim Crow times. So a uh, very inaccurate and offensive uh, quote for me to be hearing. Also, I feel like the people who say that no black people like Bernie are exposing the fact that they do not have any black friends. Like they don't know any black people. That's what that says to me overall now to dig deeper into that why do you think there's this effort to erase this vast support bernie has from not just black people but specifically black women uh they were i think we've uh we've looked at that chart a million times that that is his best demographic yeah i think a lot of it is coming from the fact that 
white women are still very angry with Bernie for supposedly making Hillary lose the election somehow. And um, they're able to steer the conversation where everything he says, they're like, oh, but he didn't mention black people or women or gay people. And I think it just shows like it's identity politics kind of gone crazy because these are all people who um, are criticizing Bernie for the same things that they excused when it was um, a woman running for president or like Barack Obama. It's crazy. And I think that there's still just a lot of resentment within the Democratic establishment towards him. And it's easy to call someone a racist uh, because they're an old white man. It seems like it'll stick. And also, I will say that I think a lot of that posturing when it comes from you know, white people, white women, I think that it is not meant for black consumption, if that makes sense. I think that they're just saying that to other white people to signal that they are the wokest of the the white people and that it, it helps them build clout with their, with their white friends. Because I don't think that any black person hearing some white woman talk about how Bernie is racist against somebody for by some perceived slight. I don't think that th that's helping them score any points with black people. I think that's mostly for their white friends and to signal to other people. Yeah. And I also saw someone being like, um, Bernie is taking away the spotlight from someone who could be black or a woman or gay. And these are the same people that tweet like Hillary Clinton is a black woman. Nancy Pelosi is Suge Knight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're posturing all of these like white neoliberal leaders as women of color and um, accusing like Bernie of racism when he goes against them as if they were actually women of color. It's ridiculous. Now, we can speak frankly about Bernie's sometimes not quite as tactful as he can be uh, issue. You know, he has these issues with like tact when talking about racial issues sometimes when he like, for example, he was on I think it was like Vermont Public Radio a few weeks or like a month ago. And he said like something to the effect of. You know, some, some white people are just not comfortable voting for black candidates. <laughs> and uh, he took a lot of shit for that one. So, I don't know. We can acknowledge that there there are some blind spots because he is like an ancient, like, you know, it's an old man. I don't know. What, what, what do you guys think? I think that um, the not extremely tactful things that Bernie has said are way less offensive and violent than like Kamala Harris's practices of mass incarceration in California. And I think that this ties into um, a larger issue where, which is kind of infantilizing black people, especially black women as a voting block and um, thinking that, you know, this statement is something that will be more compelling to us than the fact that Kamala Harris made her career on locking up black men. It's insane. We're not that stupid. And I it, I find it insulting when people try to be like, this is what racism looks like to black people. That We know what it is, and I wouldn't say that's it. Not to mention the black candidates who are, have announced already, like Cory Booker and Kamala Harris. Oh my God, I know exactly what you are about to say about No, Cory they're on Booker. this tour of saying shit that like if white politicians said it, it would be the one, there's a fucking outright scandal. Kamala Harris doing her embarrassing, like I listen to lemonade while cooking ribs shit <laughs> and talking about how she smokes weed because she's Jamaican and her, her whole family, which is hilarious, like her Jamaican side of the family, in Jamaica, smoking weed is kind of looked down upon by the m majority of society. So they're all they've all denounced her statements about how because she's Jamaican, she and her family smoke weed. And they, it's hilarious. But and of course, Cory Booker, the king coming out saying that he, he had this drugged kingpin friend named T-Bone. Also his mysterious <laughs> girlfriend that like lives in Canada. And that's why we can never see her in public. It's 
it's very fishy. And I feel like it's it's really insulting again to black people to think that what we want to hear from Cory Booker and Kamala Harris is like performative blackness. Like I eat grits, I eat greens instead of what Bernie does, which is talk about actual policies that could have tangible benefits to our community. Like it doesn't help black people to have a black person in the White House if that person like functionally votes and acts like Kamala Harris or Cory Booker, you know. Or even Obama. <laughs> it's not a victory for the black community if any random black person is elected president. If they don't have a policy background, we're smart enough to see through that and we will not vote for them. Yeah, but Cory Booker has a girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, where's Bernie's girlfriend? Oh, Jane, the the fraudster. <laughs> I believe that Cory Booker started those rumors that he's dating Rosario Dawson himself to, like, just make himself look better. Yeah. All right. So let's go into some of these other bizarre Bernie myths. Uh, One that I really enjoy is this idea that brochalists like Dan and I, and now I guess Rachie has an honorary brochalist, are actually these uber rich college bros who have been brainwashed by like Marxist elite universities. And this one's very funny to me because I mean, I went to a very expensive private four year school. Rachel went to probably one of the most expensive and private schools possible. And when you meet, wasn't that expensive for me to affirmative action. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent flex. But either way, we've, we've met these uber elite rich kids who, go to these kinds of schools. I mean, there. I, I grew up in a rich area, but I met really rich people for the first time in college. And those people are not socialists by any stretch of the imagination. So confusing because I've never met anyone who's actually both like an ardent Bernie supporter and an actual bro. Like, I, I haven't met them. Where are they? Like, the guys that wear, like, backwards baseball caps and, like, are shotgunning beers at lacrosse games, are they? Is that Bernie's base? Well, I don't really think so. And I think there was this, like, th- this sort of Salon.com articles that were just churned out nonstop in 2016 that really, like, built up this narrative. And, I mean, like we said, you know, the erasure of any other identity even though he's huge uh with many different groups uh it's again he addressed the uh the criticism that his campaign leadership was too white as well by hiring a slew of uh women and uh other people of color that bothers me about that is like why don't people have this same energy for every other candidate why are they not saying like everyone else who's running for president your leadership team is too white like i find it disingenuous when they levy accusations of racism against just one candidate it's very odd to me especially since kamala harris who's supposedly this diversity candidate hired all the fucking idiotic white people from Hillary Clinton's comms team and like her press secretary and shit. And they've all been the ones putting her on this embarrassing tour where she's, you know, performatively putting hot sauce. She's fucking Wakanda forever. Yeah. The Wakanda (laughs) shit. I mean, it's really, it it just goes to show that it's, it's a very dishonest criticism, especially since also, Kamala Harris and Hillary Clinton both shielded high-profile sexual abusers who were close advisors to them. And there, there's no, exactly there's none of the same energy that they bring to Bernie f- for Kamala Harris or for Hillary Clinton or one of these other foolish candidates. But this has really built to a fever pitch such that once Bernie announced, there was already this narrative in play that Bernie bros were this just so uniquely abusive and awful online that it prompted, I think the most infamous of these tweets was the best Calb tweet about how as soon as Bernie announced, a slew of women texted her, but she's too afraid to tweet what they were saying about Bernie Sanders because his dreaded followers, the Bernie bros, will come for her. Now, I I, I want to start by saying this is a white woman, an L.A. TV writer who 
literally since 2016, I think, and I don't follow her, but I fucking every other day have seen her tweet about Bernie. So her acting as if she is afraid of this onslaught of fucking neck beards yelling at her is extremely disingenuous because she courts it. Doesn't it speak to something that he's popular enough that, I don't know, people want to support him with, like, evidence? And then this guy commented on the tweet and said, and, you know, maybe this is, I I might not have, like, jumped into this, like, shit pile, but he said, then maybe we should do all our, we should all do our research and find out why he's so popular. Maybe it's his amazing policy ideas. And then she said, fucking Christ, even this, as if that was, like, an abusive thing to say, like, his policies are what make him popular. Yeah, and I find it ironic that, um, like we were talking about before, I don't feel comfortable as a black woman on Twitter, like, publicly supporting Bernie Sanders that much because I will get attacked for it by these people. They'll be like, you're a bot, like, you're being brainwashed or something. Like, I have to be, I feel like I have to be careful about what I say about Bernie online because I don't want, like, the centrist white woman army to come after me. These kinds of posts are littered with comments from people of color saying, I am a person of color, I support Bernie, and the things that you guys say. And they bring receipts, they bring screenshots of like these people saying, like, you just, Bernie wants to rape you and shit like that. It's disgusting. And then when um, there was a, a, a black woman who was supportive of Bernie Sanders, and the tweet response she got back was like, you're white adjacent, you're just doing this to impress your white boyfriend, as if there's no way that she could have, of her own sound mind, as a black woman, be supporting Bernie Sanders. Yeah. Yeah, I see just uh, Brianna Gray from The Intercept and Current Affairs, like, she'll she'll share these things all the time, and it's like, because she's like a prominent uh, black supporter of Bernie Sanders, and it's like, the funny thing is, like, you know, they'll say, like, the Bernies, like, which is it? Is it Russian bots, or, or are they, like, misogynist, like, f- white freaks? Like, I... <laughs> Just anyone but women of color is believable as a Bernie Sanders supporter. Like the Russians, the Venezuelans, misogynist is white men, like just everyone. But if you're a woman of color, it's like, no, you are not a Bernie supporter. You just can't be. This hysteria has extended to, to like, I mean, I've seen tweets that are literally like Vladimir Putin supports Bernie Sanders. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's become a common refrain for many politicians, but I, I think there are other criticisms that maybe more serious people are making. One of them that I, I had seen previously is this idea that, like, this idea that Bernie Sanders is not a realistic candidate. Part of it is this idea that he wouldn't be able to match the donor base of a more established politician, which... Number one, we saw the lie of in 2016, and I think we just saw it the other day when he raised $6 million on the first day of his campaign. Yeah, it's like a record-breaking amount. Uh, I think it was, uh, you know, multiples of what any other uh, of the Democrats raised, and these were an average donation of $27, and I donated, so, you know, just throwing that out there. I did see that someone said that donating $27 um, was a sign of white male aggression because it's the most um, white hetero male number possible. Oh, and I also love how uh, another uh, viral one said, (laughs) well, this is clearly all of his rich white supporters. Yeah, (laughs) donating $27. (laughs) Yeah, I don't understand that. rich benefactors. It really is just an... Red Dead Redemption. That would have been a lot of money. But $27 is not that much. Yeah, I I thought that one was really funny because the the numbers are available on this. This is not like... This is not this unknowable thing that you can assume a stereotype on. She was appealing to the stereotype flying in the face of 
numbers that we have that show that his support like there's something with the the bernie bro myth where it really won't go away if you come at it with numbers or if you come at it anecdotally if you try to convince one of these people like look at the numbers bernie carries minorities and women pretty handily even over what like hillary clinton and other candidates who are people of color all right you know what even the fucking dweeb nate silver did a whole fucking analysis this week and said bernie would have won Exactly. So, so the the numbers the numbers show what we argue, but they'll dismiss that, and then they they will be like, well, I mean, I met this one black person who said that she didn't feel comfortable with Bernie Sanders, and then a person will respond to that and saying, I'm black, I'm comfortable with Bernie Sanders, just because you met one person doesn't mean they speak for the whole community, and then this person will be like, well. Just because you say that doesn't mean the majority of blind people say this. It's just you can't win. It's either if it's if you have anecdotal evidence, then they point to the numbers. If you have the numbers, then they point to some anecdote about someone they met once. And look, I think we have to also keep in mind that the like wokeness Olympics of Twitter. These are sort of hyper, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, impulsive personas of people online. So. Obviously, like, keep that in mind, but I think you do get, like, a sort of unvarnished view into people's thoughts. It's, it's, I see shit on Twitter every day that just astounds me. Yeah, even if it's not their, like, true, honest thoughts, it's still what they want to pretend to be. Like, people, everyone on the line wants to be outraged about something, and the things that they choose to be outraged about or to be, I guess, performative about are definitely illustrative, but, I mean... I think when when I what I saw that really struck me is that Trump clearly knows President Donald J. Trump. I think this is the longest you've gone in an episode without mentioning the big boy, but he knows that Bernie is the one to beat out of the group. He recognizes the threat pretty clearly. Yes, and rather than coming at it with really anything of his normal like you know barbs he just is like crazy bernie's entered the race i wish him luck yeah and he immediately the 2020 campaign organizations immediately like sent out communications to the followers texts and emails saying that you know socialist bernie sanders has raised six million dollars in 24 hours like this is a threat and they're genuinely afraid i'm and I think people, plenty of people said in 2016 that all of Bernie Sanders' strengths play to all of Donald Trump's weaknesses. Bernie Sanders is the one who said billionaires have wrecked this country. And here he's going to be running against a literal billionaire who spent the last few years wrecking this country. Do we want to just do a quick search right now at and see what the discourse around Bernie Sanders is? You know, it's it's a true coffee house of ideas. Uh, Twitter, it's, it's, it's a hive of people just trying to get closer to the truth. And have good faith arguments. Yes. One of the one thing that is in really good faith is a tweet from Scissorfight at Jerry923. He says, Remember her, Bernie? You are the only reason she is not president. And it's a picture of Hillary Clinton, but she's on a photoshopped book cover and the title of the book is fuck all y'all a memoir by the bitch who fucking warned you and hillary's like sipping a beer on the front cover wearing a leather jacket again this very disturbing trend of pretending that um (laughs) the worst white women are actually women of color like fuck all y'all she would never say that and I think Sam said this in our last episode about Pelosi, but I think it's this way to shield the banality of who they are. They fucking project this personality that Hillary Do you think Hillary Clinton's drinking like a Guinness in a bar wearing a leather jacket ever? Do you think Bert- <laughs> Hillary Clinton has like been in a public setting like that for fun once in her entire life in the past like 20 years? Hillary Clinton in Easy Rider. Yeah, come on. Like Hillary Clinton just smoking doobies in the alleys. This is just such fucking nonsense. I wonder what will come up if we do the classic, uh, like, this is just the funniest thing. And then it went from parody to, like, so common. People try, people tweeting about Bernie Sanders but starring out, like, one of the letters. <laughs> yeah, as if, like, you would have to put a trigger warning for Bernie Sanders because he's, what, a Nazi or something comparable? <laughs> Content warning, Bernie Sanders. As if it's, like, content warning, like child murder 
<laughs> yeah, um, I read um, on Twitter that someone had said that um, their therapist said, all my female clients are texting me about B star knee Sanders, of course, the trigger <laughs> warning. And she was like, my therapist only works with abused women. And then someone very rightfully responded like, your therapist is legally not allowed to tell you what they discuss with other patients. And this is a this is a trope on a lot of these posts is the made up conversations that these people are projecting i i see i've seen so many they're like i was in a hipster coffee shop the other day very jacob wool and i saw a white bro berating his black girlfriend and telling her that she has to vote for bernie sanders because she doesn't understand the issues this one said this guy and it was like it was saying at a bar that this guy was on a date saying that he was the biggest fan of gentrification <laughs> <laughs> and that and he, she was like guess who he's voting for and it's like i don't know if that adds up yeah i think that every democrat is pro gentrification and bernie's probably the most anti gentrification out of any of them based on based on the record thus far but i have one last very uh, spicy take and you might have to bleep this one out but i wonder if justice smollett had said he had been attacked by bernie bros if people would have been so quick to call it a hoax not that we know what's going on but just keep that in the back of your mind you damn know? yeah jesse uh, you fucked up <laughs> <laughs> either way another myth of bernie is this idea that you know, you don't need Bernie Sanders because every other Democrat has the same platform as Bernie Sanders. Right. There was the one that was literally like, why would you vote for Bernie when you have Warren? And it's like, she's a capitalist who used to be a Republican. She Bernie, like, has been fighting for this shit his entire life. And Bernie did not reintroduce the concept of blood quantum to the mainstream discourse in the way that Elizabeth Warren unprompted did. Yeah, and I have to say, as uh, someone whose governor refused to resign over doing blackface, the fact that Bernie Sanders is his age and we have no documentation about him lying about his race is a huge plus for me. But either way, Kamala Harris came out right the gate unprompted and said, I am not a Democratic Socialist. I think she said this like the day after Bernie Sanders announced. So cool. She's immediately off the ticket and she hasn't said anything about policy yet. It's all been about like hot sauce and shit. And I, I will say it would be cool. I think she did recently make this bizarre endorsement of, I guess, reparations for like for chattel slavery in the U.S. for black people. But people have rightfully ca called out her record and said a commitment from her to reparations is not really the most serious thing or political endorsement you can Yo, think of. Can we also just, uh, we mentioned before her ridiculous stunt, I think it was on the Breakfast Club radio show, um, talking about smoking weed with a with, you know, a, a, like a morning radio crew trying to sound cool. And she said that she was listening to Tupac and Snoop Dogg, but they didn't come out uh, with albums until a way after she was out of college. So do you guys think that Kamala was either just straight up lying or was she smoking weed while throwing young black men in prison for that? Like, was she sending, was she sending people to fucking San Quentin for an eighth of weed while she was smoking weed because if that's the case uh, <laughs> I, I she she should go to jail or something i don't yeah, know i mean the the hypocrisy is amazing and i think it also ties back to sam's discussion about how she would not actually do reparations if she did like she would only give them to like people who had she had never personally thrown in jail for instance like she would make black people jump through so many hoops to get what we are rightfully owed and i think that her whole story about smoking weed is completely bogus yeah. Um, I don't think she even knows what weed looks like. I, I seriously doubt it. I don't think she's ever smoked weed. 
Also, I will have I have the same take for her as I have for Obama, which is that listen, Kamala Harris does not listen to rap music. Give me give me a fucking break. Obama didn't listen to doesn't listen to rap music. He comes up with his stupid best of list every year. He is he steals all the rap music from like his daughter or something, or maybe Michelle. He does not listen to it. <laughs> Sam, I remember you once described that as like he pulled an NSA and spied on Malia's Spotify list. <laughs> yeah, it's true. He he wiretapped the shit out of his daughter I, I guess you know spotify tapped but let's get back on task this is bernie 2020 episode okay so we've already discussed the myth that bernie somehow cost hillary clinton the election very easy to dispel that again with numbers bernie delivered 92 percent of his primary voters to vote for hillary clinton in the general election in the general election of 2008, when after Hillary had lost to Barack Obama in the primaries and waged a pretty racist campaign against him, I think a full 24% of her primary voters jumped shipped and, and voted for McCain. So that's cool. Uh, that's obviously fake, this idea that Bernie cost Hillary the election somehow. And I think that we should definitely take out some of the, like, bad faith arguments in favor of Bernie. I've definitely been seeing this idea that somehow Bernie is like a POC because he's Jewish, which is not fucking true because he's Jewish, but he's a white Jew. There are Jews who are not white, but Bernie's not one of them. (laughs) Right. There's a difference between claiming to be a different race and acknowledging that it's, it is important context that, Bernie, uh, a lot of his, uh, I think the fa- his father's side of his family was wiped out in the Holocaust. So that's it, that's important context, but that doesn't make him like, you know, a person of color, of course. And that makes me wonder, like, why do people think that him being a Jewish man is not um, a legitimate enough identity for him to stand on that they have to pretend that he's a person of color? Well, because he's a secular Jew. Yeah, it's because he's not Israeli, I think. (laughs) I think if he was Israeli, he would already be president. (laughs) He's like not the sympathetic kind of Jewish person, so they pretend he's a person of color or something. Yeah, that's actually one of the things I love about Bernie Sanders is that he's what the Israelis call like an exile. He's one of us. He's or like Dan and me. We're diasporic Jews. Our family is not. We're, we're not Israeli, and uh, our family. Emig- we're not Zionists, folks. Yeah, we're not Zionists. We, our family did not. Uh, you know, are emigrated from. My family's from. I've like, never fucking been to Israel. Fuck that shit. Yeah, I, honestly, yeah. I, I, but the fact that his his father's side of the family was wiped out by the Holocaust, like people don't find that a, a compelling narrative. Like, what does he have to do? Uh, he may That may be true, but he's straight, so he's privileged. There you go. Well, he was once, like, literally, like, questioned, like, the kind of that line of questioning and about his faith. And he said, like, being a Jewish person is a huge part of my faith. And he mentioned that. Yeah. Uh, you know, that family history. And it's like, is that not enough? <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> no, but, but, like, I mean, we it, people will think it's maybe unfair of us to have ragged on, you know, Israelis for the way they they view diasporic Jews. They think that we're like soft baby shit. They think that we're assimilationists and that we're breeding ourselves out of existence. And Bernie Sanders, as a person who's on the left, who is critical of the state of Israel and its human rights records, uh, they see him as like the wrong kind of Jew. And also, I think there's been this weird alignment of the you know Israeli far right with the, uh, the United States far right. And it's one of the most culturally acceptable ways to be Jewish at this point and Bernie's very much an outsider to that and he's also as we mentioned not really that religious anyway and that makes me love him because it makes me feel seen and genuine I I, I mean well, right you you look at someone like honestly like Barack Obama or Hillary Clinton and they're like pandering about their religion or like the, the whole Clinton family right it's like all right like Bill's getting his dick sucked by like every everything with a pulse and I, I'm like I, I don't know, I, 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 not to be like a, not to slut shame Bill Clinton, but he's not slut shaming. He's like an abuser. <laughs> well, an abusive slut. I know he's a, he's a rapist. We've talked about this, but it's just like I don't know the 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 way that politicians generally talk about religion. Like it doesn't seem in, like uh, genuine at all. Right, but. 
Either way, that's I mean that's one I guess left wing Bernie myth is this idea that he's a POC because he's Jewish. That's not true. We've taken that one down. The other like pro Bernie myth I can think of is it, especially like I think white people have this really quick response to when people accuse Bernie of being racist. They're like, well, he was arrested as in the civil rights uh, era. At first, sta- marching with Martin Luther King, and uh, <laughs> very good question. Side was he on? <laughs> yeah. was he arrested. <laughs> He's being arrested for being uh, for yeah, right wing agitating. But either way, I mean that's kind of that's a little bit of like a performative thing to bring up. I think it's more effective to respond to it with like his policies would overwhelmingly benefit women and people <laughs> of color, and especially black people. Yeah, like, sorry, like, Amy Schumer got arrested during, like, the Brett Kavanaugh hearing, like, you know, it's not like... Is a civil it, rights it, hero on par with <laughs> Colin Kaepernick. <laughs> um, While I don't think that it's, you know, bullshit or irrelevant that he, you know, uh, was marching for civil rights, like, yes, it's not, it's not like a... It's not a good way to deflect. Uh, uh, it's it's not like a get out of jail free card. Yeah, exactly. But it is worth mentioning that at that time, I mean, the majority of white people thought that like the civil rights movement was going too far and black people were agitating for too much. So having him on the right side of history back then, I mean, plenty of Democratic politicians we've seen were on the wrong side of that argument. But if Bernie really wants to prove that he's not a racist, why doesn't he have sex with a black woman? The final test. Well, sign me up. All righty. Uh, do you have any more on Bernie? Do you want to move into pop culture? Uh, just let's say a couple of last. I want to hear. I want all of us to just uh, give our take on. I don't know. Just I felt hopeful in a way I haven't felt maybe like honestly, like since he dropped out in 2016, since he announced a few days ago, like th- this seems like something that could actually happen. Yeah, I feel like this time, because there were going to be like a billion Democrats, I mean, even what, Bill de Blasio and these fucking losers with no genuine support, even in their like home, you know, constituencies. The fact that like all of these fools were going to come out of the woodwork and try to muddle this shit, like Howard Schultz is going to hold the Democrats hostage and demand they nominate a centrist or else he's going to run as a third party. Hopefully Bernie announcing having this groundswell of support, raising so much fucking money means we can finally just rally behind the man and move leftward as the times demand. I don't know. Don't you feel like half of that has already happened with like the leftward movement of the Democratic Party since he's introduced this yeah but he's still look he's still like the only person running who honestly i would believe has a pulse and is it because he's the most left-wing person maybe but it's also because just he seems a lot more genuine and like his coat the coalition he represents is a lot more sincere and a lot more effective for the challenges that we are going to be facing than any of his contenders and honestly when it comes down to someone who i think could stand up to donald trump in a campaign none of these other people all these other people are going to be fucking insulted into oblivion and trump's got nothing on bernie all of bernie's strengths played all of trump's weaknesses rachie your thoughts i would just like to say that um (laughs) i appreciate that and i i can't believe i have to say this i appreciate that bernie's campaign so far is focused on policy and not pandering to stereotypes about what black people like um i feel like he has a campaign that doesn't infantilize me as a woman of color and assume that i make voting decisions based on like what he likes to eat at a barbecue and you know i had my heart broken in 2016 but it wasn't because hillary lost it's because I didn't vote for Bernie um, in the election. I plugged my nose and voted for Hillary, and I regret it. <laughs> we all felt a, a, a like, okay, this is certainly a compromise, but if I if I push this button, then at least this blob of just grease and racism wouldn't be president. And didn't matter, you know. <laughs> It didn't matter. None of it mattered. And I mean, Dan, you should have tried voting for uh, fucking 
fucking Ralph Northam in the gubernatorial election like two years ago. I fucking voted for Ralph Northam, the blackface guy, because they were like, you don't have a choice. It's either Ralph Northam or you like go back to slavery with the Republicans. Little did I know there's not really a difference. Yeah, it puts a lie to this vote blue no matter who myth. But yeah, I guess we've we've beaten this to death and we should do some we should lighten it up with some pop culture. All right, let's play a little bit of this trailer to I don't even know what the fuck this is. This is a Danny Boyle who obviously directed like Slumdog Millionaire uh, train spotting like he's a huge director is this movie called Yesterday. This was my last gig. If it has happened by now, it's like a miracle. Miracles happen. What happened? Oh. Electricity flicked off all over the world. Cheese! <laughs> Yesterday, Ellie bought you a present. All my troubles seem wow. so far away. Now it looks as though they're here to stay. Oh, I believe in yesterday. Oh when did you write that? I didn't write it. Paul McCartney wrote it. The Beatles. Who? John, Paul, George and Ringo, the Beatles. All right, so now, guys, this appears to me to be a i don't even know like who's this for uh, uh so it's a, a a indian man who like wakes up one day uh, you know and during his like kind of failed after, after like a life of like a failed you know uh musical aspirations and he's the only one in the world who remembers the beatles and they're putting this out in 2019 yeah, so apparently in 2019, he wakes up in this dimension where nobody knows what the Beatles are, can remember any of their songs. So he just rips off the songs and becomes a wildly successful musician. The idea being, of course, that the Beatles music is just so fucking universal and singularly magical that even if you release it in a world, a world that doesn't have the Beatles is fundamentally different for many reasons, but... If you made the Beatles music today, people would be like, that sounds like a, mostly all of the derivative of mostly all of the music of the past like 50 years. Well, right. If, if the Beatles were the only thing removed from the timeline, like, I don't even know, like you're going to put a YouTube video of you up playing like, hey, Jude, and everyone's going to care <laughs> like so, some random guy without any of this context of like Beatlemania. <laughs> so this is actually good. It's good that we have Rachel on the show because, Rachel, you famously hate the Beatles. Yeah, the premise of yesterday is a dream come true for me, um, a world where no one knows the Beatles, but it would be better if, like, I didn't have to remember them. So, like, <laughs> I don't know why they didn't just go further with the premise and just make it what if the Beatles never existed. I would love that. Why do you think they made this movie now? It's just such a weird premise. No, I mean, like I said, for certain people who grew up, like I grew up listening to the Beatles. I I love the Beatles. As did I. I the my parents played them for me all the time. They were it was some I watched the trippy ass yellow submarine movie like every day of my life when I was 3 years old. Probably explains a few things about where I'm at now, but either way, for us, it's like this cultural thing, and the Beatles are very tied to this cultural moment. After JFK was killed, the Beatles came over from Britain and were sunny and fun, and everyone liked it. And, I mean, part of why this beatles world is so impossible to imagine for me is that a world without the Beatles is fundamentally different on, like, an economic level. The Beatles were, like, are to this day one of the top-selling artists of all time. They... they they gave people jobs. They like were their own economy. They've sold like they're, they're worth. Paul McCartney was a billionaire for a while, gave away like half his money in the divorce and now is on his way to becoming a billionaire again. Like they are this just cultural powerhouse that 
I not even to buy into this idea that they're so universal or anything, just genuinely a, a dimension without them would be so fundamentally different in so many ways that it doesn't make sense. Like if it was a smaller artist, the premise of the movie would make a little more sense. But because it's like, well, like what the fuck would a world without Michael Jackson look like? It's to me this sort of weird nostalgia grab that we've seen before, but we are in the context that like, they made across the universe already. Like, they did a fucking be- modern-day Beatles movie, um, and it sucked. <laughs> okay, I really wanted to discuss Across the Universe because that is a fucking piece of Bush years nonsense that has been forgotten, I think, but is truly one of the most atrocious pieces of film of all time. It was a movie in which they did, like, these awful, like, showy Broadway-style renditions of all the... The Beatles songs you like, and they put may I say, let's not even Broadway. I wouldn't even give it that much credit. Let's call it Glee. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like can't like campy musical, and it was a musical it, uh, set in the '60s during like the Vietnam War that removes all of the any kind of genuine political message or context. It's just the aesthetic of the time period, and it's also one of those classic movies where they basically act like the Vietnam War protest and the Civil Rights era were the same, one and the same thing, when famously there was a split between the two. But either way, I think like that movie is such a piece of just Bush years, like and just it was every piece of joy of the Beatles. Ovra was sucked out. I remember my favorite performance being Bono, who is one of my least favorite musicians of all time, singing like I Am the Walrus, which is definitely one of the worst Beatles songs of all time. I'm not going to come at this from a perspective of like shitting on the Beatles because, like, to be honest, I haven't really like thought about uh, as an adult. I haven't like gone through and been like, this is a good song, this is a bad song. I don't know. This movie looks like shit, and I, I can't wait to see it. <laughs> yeah, this movie reminds me of Greta Van Fleet, the horrible ah. uh, <laughs> knockoff Led Zeppelin band, because I feel like this is the world that they inhabit. They're like, what if we lived in a world without Led Zeppelin? Let's rip off all of their songs. But what they don't know is that the rest of us actually do know about Led Zeppelin. Well, it's and, yeah. Here's the thing on this, too. Like, so what? The story is, like, eventually, like, what? Some like every single movie with this generic plot he what how do you think what's your prediction how this goes he gets found out like hey hey i'm i'm john what do you, what are you doing man i i didn't actually get shot oh god it's gonna be how john's alive <laughs> i'm telling you i'm dude okay p- mark this tape fuck <laughs> <laughs> What do you think this movie amounts to <laughs> in its plot? Because I just can't even conceive of it. Okay, I think the obvious turn is that he gets sick of being known as the guy who wrote the Beatles songs, which he didn't actually write. He just somehow remembers all of the lyrics. Like he's not, he isn't, he has them all committed <laughs> to memory, which is actually kind of impressive. Because oh, I couldn't just sing Blackbird right now. <laughs> I can't. I don't think I could just like off the top of my head pick up a guitar and sing a yeah come on like even i know a bunch of beatles songs on guitar and stuff but i couldn't just like go out and perform them convincingly like the, he, it is kind of and i think this is also supposed to be like a showcase for this guy's voice but he does sound a good bit like paul mccartney if you ask like me ask me but i think the conclusion obviously is that he tries to like write his own songs but everyone hates them and he has some kind of artistic ennui about becoming wildly successful with songs he stole from another dimension or something and then there's gonna be some weird way he gets like sent back to the right dimension and he's learned a lesson or something do you agree i agree i but i also have predictions that the fact that it's an indian man um with the same materials as the beetle is is going to be completely glossed over the racial aspect of like maybe part of their success were that they were these traditionally handsome english guys versus this is an indian man living in the like post 9-11 world i predict racial aspect not addressed at all for sure that if you look at the trailer i mean you see that he's like becomes a star from it so yeah crazy and then my only other prediction is that he ends up with a beautiful white woman uh at the end of the movie oh that is without question and speaking of beautiful white people 
I just wanted to, I, I think this is a good, you know, a good thing to shout out. The Fox Friday lineup, folks, <laughs> is like the conservative just powerhouse. It's Tim Allen's Last Man Standing, which we all know that's Tim Allen's show where he plays like a YouTuber who like works at a hardware store and like rants about political correctness. He works at an outdoorsman store. Right, like sorry, a I'm thinking of Home Improvement. <laughs> yeah, it's fu- an outdoorsman's magazine. He's a photographer. So, so <laughs> that makes me so angry because it's sort of like a it's sort of like a thing where like what Mike Rowe like rails against getting a liberal arts degree, but he has a master's in communications or something. And that's the dirty jobs guy. Yeah, the dirty jobs guy exactly, who is funded by the Cokes, uh, open secret. But either way, with Tim Allen, and his character is all about you know the libs and Hollywood and shit. I'm like. Motherfucker, you're a photographer. You're a you're a fucking liberal artist. What is wrong with your nature photographer? You are like the most earthy, crunchy, hippie, like pinko shit I can think of. Well, this was kind of the show to fill the like void of conservative entertainment that uh, M- Mrs. Roseanne Barr <laughs> left. <laughs> R.I.P. Yeah. Uh- off topic, but she called AOC a bug-eyed bitch this week. Uh, why not? <laughs> She's got a gift with her alliteration, I will say. Stay on brand. But uh, either way, the power hour, it's last man standing and also the premiere of pro- hashtag proven innocent, the uh, Kelsey Grammer show, who Kelsey Grammer has also emerged as one of these, you know, obviously the star of Frasier, an iconic sitcom, but now he's emerged as this like, kind of conservative i guess what the plot oh my god kelsey Grammer's show uh, can i just say uh, yeah. rachie make your prediction with the context that kelsey Grammer's character's name is gore bellows okay <laughs> my prediction <laughs> gore bellows esquire um <laughs> defends men who have been accused in the me too era of sexual harassment and he's like they're proven innocent sweetie he defends like uh, the person that Jussie Smollett, Smollett has <laughs> accused. <laughs> okay, honestly, you're not that far off. Oh my god, no! So I'm on the wiki, I'm on the wiki right now, and it says Kelsey Grammer as Gore Bellows. Also, I want to just comment that he is literally like the sixth name on the call sheet on 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 Wikipedia. <laughs> so weird that he's in all the advertising when he's probably in like two scenes an episode. But I'm never gonna watch this show, so who cares? But. Uh, Kelsey Grammer as Gore Bellows, the Cook County State Attorney whose celebrated career has been long shadowed by allegations of multiple wrongful convictions, including those of Madeline and Levi Scott. So he's a sympathetic portrayal of the Cook County, like, what, prosecutors? Cook County was most recently in the news for having inmates shovel snow in Chicago in, like, sub-zero temperature with no equipment, just jumpsuits. Oh, it's a, it's the oh, it's a Chicago show. That's crazy. Exactly. No, Chicago, the Chicago state or, or the government is, like, probably has killed, like, more black people and shoved and sh- swept it under the rug under the, in the past, what, since Chicago was a city. Yeah, and they literally had that uh, torture site operated by the CB- CPD at Homan Square. It was, like, a CIA-level torture site in, sh- in Chicago. Glad Kelsey Grammer can do what he can to uh, <laughs> make that uh, sympathetic and entertaining. Yeah, it's amazing how he has to prove that the police are innocent, which honestly, <laughs> it does go to show this uh, amazing Overton window switch of I mean, we I mean the left the 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 reason conservative TV is so bad and so egregious is because they really have kind of lost on that front a more palatable, non-racist, I guess like, you know, centrist and I guess liberal for lack of a better word sensibility has taken over most sitcoms and that's been the norm for a while now and this is like i think this is just like the last gasp of these geriatric fools who think that they can bring conservative comedy into the mainstream and rehabilitate their like dried up and sad careers and I feel like NBC, Dan, correct me if I'm wrong, already has an entire like sitcom or drama series based in the Chicago universe. So there's no Rachie, Rachie, hold on. There's three. 
three? Chicago Fire, Chicago Med, Chicago PD, and there might be a fourth. Oh, there's going to be a fourth. Chicago Law. That might exist. Hold on. I, I got to look that up. Yeah, and I mean, the, sh- the the choice of Chicago for that Kelsey Grammer show is so fucking egregious just because Chicago, as we know, is this like buzzword for conservatives to talk about what black on black crime or they use it as a justification for why it's OK to be racist, because look what black people do Holy and leave it to their own devices. So the fact that he's humanizing the just oppressive state that has allowed these conditions to persist and allowed for so much violence and misery there is so fucking heinous. Okay, there's Chicago PD, Chicago Med, Chicago Justice, and Chicago Fire. So Kelsey Grammer is in a knockoff NBC show at this point in his career. <laughs> well, right, on, but on Fox, on, fr- on Friday nights, which if you know anything about TV programming, that is like the worst slot for network tv nobody yeah, watches well, on fucking friday night finally conservatives are getting the comedy they truly deserve and you know conservatives are all over the place and dan you recently brought to my attention that the fucking ancient what white house former pri- press secretary sean spicer a throwback to the early trump days has recently joined extra as a correspondent so extra like you know it, like this was something that, as a kid, like would just be on while we were eating dinner by virtue of like just inertia. You know, it's it's just shitty celebrity, like the most base, like celeb boring celebrity news for like a I would say like kind of a family audience. And they hired Sean Spicer, and it's just such a slap in the face to like the you know the idea that like. There's all these fucking journalists who got laid off the last few weeks from all these fucking publications that whose like billionaire owners decided that, you know, <laughs> they weren't worth keeping. Um, while that went, you know, was going on, I guess, uh, you know, just offer a, a cozy TV job to this just grotesque liar and I mean, complete incompetence. Uh, <laughs> I I think he is one of just the ultimate pictures of, like, Trump-era mediocrity. And, like, the only reason anyone knows who he is is because he was unwilling to stand up to Donald Trump. And he's so mediocre that he was literally replaced with a Huckabee. I mean, Sarah Huckabee Sanders. And he's going to interview Sarah Huckabee Sanders on his second interview on Extra. His first interview. I mean, God, can you imagine Sean Spicer giving an interview anyway? I mean, what last episode we played the clip where he was drunk as fuck at the State of the Union talking to like Eric Bowling and asking him whether he purchased his suit at Target and shit like that. I mean, imagine the idea that this is going to be he's going to be paid to do this and probably paid a lot of money to do this on like national tv is so funny but his first interview is going to be with mike pompeo and his wife susan it's just yeah the secretary of state currently and come on i think that this is a slap in the face to all the female entertainment journalists who have to be like hot so that they can interview celebrities (laughs) can you imagine sean fucking spicer on the red carpet Doing red carpet interviews. Good God! Yeah, what what potato sack suit? Yeah, what are you wearing, uh, Sean Spicer? Is that well, Target? <laughs> I'm wearing uh, I'm wearing a gray like pinstripe suit with like a lime green tie and uh, <laughs> what yellowish beige. Can you imagine Rihanna like having to give a red carpet interview to Sean Spicer? <laughs> oh my God! Like Cardi B. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think she would be allowed. Uh, she would allow herself to be too close to the man. No, but... she's a Bernie bro. Um... That's true. And since 2015, since since she had bad teeth, and before <laughs> she got the bag and fixed her teeth, she was still in it for Bernie because she knows what the fuck's up and she's brilliant. And um, I guess in in the vein of being, I guess, barred from entering a room, we should mention that this bizarre Lord of the Rings show on Amazon. And Dan, you had a very techno-futurist dystopian news about this to relay to us. So I guess when you're put in Jeff Bezos's writer's room where a $250 million show is being written that, you know, Amazon purchased from the Tolkien estates, HarperCollins publishers, and New Line Cinema... 
So, you know, to basically create Amazon's Game of Thrones. So apparently when you're working on such an expensive project, you have to literally uh, work in a writer's room that is a locked office with a guard and fingerprint scanner. Not not weird at all. Now, I would say this is further evidence of my case that Game of Thrones is ruining the world because there's... It's not just Game of Thrones, but also you remember how Westworld there was the when they finished the first season, someone apparently on Reddit guessed a plot twist, a major plot twist that the writers were doing in season two. And they had to do a massive rewrite, which if you've ever seen that show, it looks like it costs a billion dollars a second to make this thing. It's absurdly over budget. And there's this obsession these days of the purity of the writer's room and not letting spoilers out. It's like this weird, I guess, uh, symptom of binge-watching culture and the our, our fever pitch obsession with prestige TV these days. Yeah, and I have to say that I applaud Jeff Bezos for being consistent in his working standards because Amazon warehouse workers have to piss into bottles to meet their quotas. Why should his writer's room be treated any differently? Jesus, it says that they have to tape the windows closed. (laughs) So uh, you want fresh air in like a 16-hour day in Santa Monica? Fuck you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. you need to write. uh, Also, I mean, so Jeff Bezos is apparently like a humongous kind of like classic nerd he loves star trek all of these fucking people yeah every like peter teal jeff like they all love like this lord of the ring they all think they're like fucking aragorn yeah i mean peter teal literally found founded a company called palantir which is a reference to lord of the rings and because obviously we've already had the lord of the rings movie trilogy in the bush years then we had the disastrous like hobbit trilogy in the obama years and now like you have hinted that this might be they're gonna like do an like basically an anthology of the stories in the silmarillion the really kind of byzantine backstory to the lord of the rings that J.R. tolkien and then his his son i think expanded on it but it's the backstory to this epic high fantasy that tolkien wrote in the world he created it is i cannot imagine having to appeal to jeff bezos's sensibilities when you're adapting like the nerdiest shit possible for the nerdiest guy oh you know he's giving them notes (laughs) like you know he's involving himself in this it just pisses it just is like just because you have all this money doesn't mean you have any like merit his notes are probably just like his sex it's like i i don't love this line alive girl (laughs) (laughs) he's gonna demand some live girls in the script um and also when you mentioned the taping up the windows that is not a workplace thing that's definitely just a jeff bezos sex thing like there's no reason to do that Better lighting on the penis pics. <laughs> exactly. I also, uh, I feel like Jeff Bezos is going to be like, it's a woke Lord of the Rings. We have a lesbian Aragorn and stuff because it's 2019. It's post Nanette. <laughs> Gimli is Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> well, the dwarves, you know, that is an interpretation. <laughs> yeah, I, I have traditionally read the dwarves who in Tolkien... Uh, lore apparently like their obsession with wealth leads them to burrow so far into the ground that like fire demons eat them all or something i'm like okay sure it's it's not quite like the the gringotts goblins and harry potter that are like the hook-nosed guardians of the magical finance world or whatever but there's something there i mean we all know the brits have a history of anti-semitism this is not news and We'll keep an eye on this. Uh, I imagine, like, I can't imagine I wouldn't watch a Lord of the Rings TV series, but, like, I don't know. You know, there's rumors that it might be about, like, a young Aragorn, so I guess they literally just want to make their own fucking Jon Snow thing. You know, it's just derivative as hell, unnecessary, and uh, fucking bloated company uh, throwing money at something that nobody fucking needs. Dan, would you be more likely to watch um, if the young Aragorn was played by Hannah Gadsby? I swear that I wouldn't do it any longer. (laughs) (laughs) 
on that note, <laughs> I think that's the show. I mean, we've we've covered a lot here. I need to know. I need, I need like a Huffington Post op-ed from Hannah Gatsby on Bernie Sanders. Oh yeah, bitch! I need that. I need that a long She's form. Be doing press because she has another stand-up special coming up that I'm excited to watch with you guys. Oh my god! <laughs> it's yes. named after her dog this time. So I'm yeah. quitting comedy. And then I will do more comedy. <laughs> I'm quitting comedy to do worse comedy. <laughs> we are excited to see Bernie Sanders uh, run. And I hope that this episode was, uh, you know, didn't have too many microaggressions. Uh, and I, I hope that we haven't triggered you too much. I am triggered because you guys have not officially ha- said Happy Black History Month on the pod. Happy Black History Month from your friends at the Plunge Podcast at Plunge <laughs> underscore podcast on Twitter. Don't forget to rate and review the Plunge in honor of Black History Month. <laughs> Just write in your comment in these guys get Black History Month. <laughs> I, I think that we plenty of I think shows have forgotten that Black History Month is going on, but we at the Plunge obviously are we respect Black women and and Black men and uh, all b- Black non-binary people. And you guys made it just right under uh, the deadline for the end of Black History Month, so I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, Dan, you have to edit the show and get this out before <laughs> February's over. <laughs> Yeah, we'll see if uh, we'll see if uh, this doesn't ruin Black History Month uh, more than it already has been ruined by certain parties. Yeah, hopefully we we're we're not on the same level of as Ralph Northam <laughs> with our problematic behavior. But uh, either way, as Bernie Sanders imposes his class first uh, race doesn't exist agenda after 2020, yeah, Sharia socialism then. We will all be vindicated and live in the uh, ignoring race utopia that we've all dreamed of. And now, uh, this is Bernie Sanders saying follow at Spuventacular and at Wagstank. And uh, I gotta go. It's time for a tuna melt. (laughs) (laughs) And, And of course, Bernie, the racist, deigned to or did not mention Rachie's Twitter handle. Tell it to the people. Actually, none of you deserve to follow me on Twitter, so don't even try to find me, okay? Just uh, leave a five-star review, and you can talk to me on the podcast. I will send feet pics if necessary. Well, you heard it here. Get those reviews out, folks. Um, All right, that's it. We'll talk to you next week. Democrats. Ooh, there was a mosquito. I don't want mosquitoes around me. I don't like mosquitoes. I don't like those mosquitoes. I never did.